It is my usual habit that in any particular week, uh, I'm obviously working on various passages of Scripture uh, for the various teaching ministries of the church. I'm working on Esther, I'm working on uh, what I'm teaching to the men, that sort of thing. But I'm always reading something that is just for me. The teacher needs to be taught, and if you read Scripture looking to teach, you're looking at it with slightly different eyes than if you're looking at it to draw it in for yourself. Um, this is not to go across the pulpit. This is just for personal spiritual growth, but every now and then, it nevertheless does make it to the pulpit. I had every intention to preach from Psalm 98 this morning. We sing from Psalm 98 all the time, and yet I've actually never preached it. And uh, I knew that I had a, a very busy week coming up with my family. I thought stepping out of John and preaching the psalm would be a good idea because it would be self-contained. But to be honest, uh, the only thing really that I worked on spiritually this week at any length, besides the classes I was teaching, was the book of Ruth. That was my spiritual reading for the week. And uh, I drew out of it spiritual sustenance and came up pretty dry on Psalm 98. So we default into Ruth. And I'm going to give an overview of the book of Ruth, uh, which kind of dovetails with what we're doing in uh, Esther, actually. But not because the two books are, quote, women's books, as I've heard them described. There is no book of the Bible that is specifically for women or any for men. They are the covenant in written form, but there are certain similarities to them, and it was hard not to miss it this week as I meditated on the book of Ruth. Ruth is only four chapters long, and I'm not going to read it. Uh, it's fairly familiar to most Bible readers, and if you haven't read Ruth, you really honestly should. It is only four chapters. I'm going to summarize the book. But generally, the book is read as effectively a character study having to do with three different people. We follow them through the four chapters. We come to really sympathize with them. The three people being Naomi. She is at the beginning of the book. She and her husband leave uh, the area of uh, Bethlehem because of a famine. And they travel into the land of Moab. They take their sons and they go to a foreign land. Uh, and then bad things happen to the family. Uh, Naomi's husband dies, her sons die, but not before they have married Moabite women. Uh, we will follow Naomi through the book and we will see something of a redemption story of her. We will encounter Boaz. Boaz is fairly famous if you're a Bible reader. He will be uh, the kinsman redeemer. And the book uh, teaches what that is like. That's one of the major themes of it. In Moses' law, there is a stipulation that uh, if you find yourself entrapped, basically, if, if you have, because of poverty or uh, other bad situations, uh, found yourself in a situation you can't get out of, there are 
redeemers that have been given in the law of Moses that will stand up for you if they will, and they will effectively pay your debts, and they will do your duties. And of course, this is a type and shadow of the great redeemer. This is a uh, a gospel presentation in the law because Jesus Christ will be our great redeemer. Boaz will be that, and we will meet him fairly personally, and we will get to like him. And then, of course, there is Ruth, who the book is named after, a Moabite woman married to one of Naomi's sons. She returns with Naomi to Israel when uh, they return, and um, she's effectively the heroine, at least the way most people read the book. Um, we follow her story, and she also has kind of a redemptive story. Generally, it's viewed as a love story. There's a focus on the, the emotional, and it can be read that way. Uh, that level of the book exists. But this week, as I read through it again... I decided I wanted to do a character study on another character who very definitely is in the book and is in the book at least as much as these three people, uh, but is less focused on often, and that is God himself. It's not just a love story, though it is a love story. It's a, a story about four people, and God is the principal one. And yet he oftentimes kind of gets shuffled off into the back details of it. So I decided I would go through the four chapters of Ruth and I would find every reference to God and what he was doing and kind of get a picture of who God is based on the book of Ruth itself. What does Ruth tell me about who God is and what he does? Well, there are 11 references to who God is in Ruth, uh, one way or another. And it's really interesting when you start examining them, what we do and don't see about God. So let's kind of walk through the book of Ruth, and let's look at the passages where God is mentioned and see what we find. The first one, I kind of cobble it together. It's not directly connected. It's, it's chapter 1, verse 8 through 13, and verse 20 through 21. Uh, this is our first introduction to God, and it's through the eyes of Naomi, starting in, starting in verse 8. Uh, and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should say, I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, 
Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then jumping over, as I said, to verse 20 and 21, uh, the people of Bethlehem have come out and said, is this Naomi? And we read, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So the first uh, connection we have with God is Naomi's perception that God is punishing her. Is God punishing her? Uh, the, the answer is kind of maybe. We don't like to read the book of Ruth that way. We want to be sympathetic to Naomi. But let's consider from the standpoint of the divine law uh, what she's done. She and her husband have left uh, the promised land, which God gave to his people, in a time of famine. God has promised to deal with his people in the promised land. He has not driven them out. They are supposed to dwell in the promised land and be separate. They haven't done that. They have not trusted. They have gone to Moab. Moab is said in Deuteronomy to be such an enemy to the people of God that no Moabite can enter the congregation of the Lord to the 10th generation. Now, Edomites can, uh, Egyptians can, but Moabites can't, and they've gone to Moab. And while in Moab, they have uh, consented to their sons to marry Moabite women, which they're not supposed to enter the congregation of the Lord to the 10th generation. So Naomi says, the Lord has testified against me. All these bad things have happened to me because God is punishing me and testifying about the sin I have committed. Is that what's happening? Well, Textually, I can't really answer that because it's Naomi's perception, but the writer of the book of Ruth doesn't say, and now she's right. doesn't say she's wrong either. It may be Naomi's guilty conscience. It may be God testifying against what they've done. But here in this first appearance of God, it's somebody talking about him. And we're told that she perceives that she is being punished. Now, she does ask the Lord to bless her daughters-in-law, and so it's positive, but her perception is, God is punishing me. Is he? Well, maybe. Number two, uh, Ruth will bring up God in verse 16 through 17, and this is Ruth's covenantal conversion. The words that she uses... If, if you understand the covenantal nature of our religion, these are covenantal words, and she's making covenantal promises. And she is talking about Naomi, but she's also talking about God, and we read, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, 
my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. Now, a number of commentators have really pulled their hair out saying, why can Ruth be who she is and uh, be very significant to what God is doing with humanity if she's a Moabite? Because Moabites can't enter the house of the Lord to the 10th generation. Well, the answer is Ruth after verse 17 is not a Moabite. Now, she gets referred to as a Moabitess by some people, but this is a covenantal promise to God. This is a response to God. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth has made the good confession. She is a born-again person. And it is definitely the first very positive statement about God, and it lets us know who she is. Later in the book... Boaz is going to say, everybody knows you are most excellent. And the Hebrew word talks about a spiritual estate of being actually good. Well, she is. We, we, we meet someone who is being converted to the Lord here in our second appearance. But again, we don't read about God so much as we see her response. Then the, uh, the last one in chapter 1 is in verse 6, uh, and it's kind of like what Naomi says, but it's flipped and it's positive. In verse 6 we read, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she, has heard, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. <clears throat> well, did the Lord visit his people by giving them bread? The answer is probably. The scripture talks about how we should view God uh, as every good gift comes from him. And our catechism kind of sums up huge amounts of scripture when in question 27 we read this, What do you understand by the providence of God? Answer, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Uh, there are so many passages that teach that, it seemed best just to kind of summarize it. That is the biblical teaching. What comes to you comes from the hand of God. Uh, the people are talking about God in verse 6, and they are very happy to believe God has sent them bread. He probably has, because that's the teaching of other passages. It's also true that he sent the famine. The famine that Naomi and her husband left. But 
God is being spoken of again. Again, the author could have said without doubt, no, God did visit his people, but it's the people in Bethlehem talking. They're talking about what God does. God has sent us bread. Moving into chapter 2, our next reference is verse 4 of chapter 2. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. It's an offhanded reference, but Boaz is coming into work, and it's a farm, and he's talking to workers who are working for him. And they are talking like covenantal people, people who are part of God's covenant are covenantal people no matter what they're doing, no matter where they are. This is work. This is the farm. It's not the temple, but they are used to thinking like we belong to God wherever we are, and it's, it's sweet. It's the way God's people ought to talk. It's the way they ought to act. Now, there are other things about this that do raise interesting thoughts, though. As we get to know Boaz, it's pretty clear he is a faithful believer, but he's telling his workers, you know, the Lord bless you, and they're also saying, the Lord bless you, but he will tell Ruth, now, I've told my men not to molest you, and Naomi will say later on, now, you stay in his field because he's making sure you're okay, lest you get molested in another field. Certain English translations soften that statement, but that's what the Hebrew is basically saying. Uh, You're in danger of being abused badly. Um, Are the people as religious as they look like here? Some of them are. Boaz certainly is. But this is not that far from 1 Samuel 8. This is during the time when the judges ruled we're not many years from where God's people say, give us a king and we want a human king. We don't want God as our king, we want a man. And so, is this religiosity real? Well, maybe for some and not for others, it's hard to say. Um, Either way, we're up to our fourth reference, and God is being talked about, but he hasn't actually showed up in action yet from the text. Our fifth reference is chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Uh, Let me turn this very thin page here. Uh, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to for refuge." Again, it's Boaz talking about God, but are the things he's saying what God does? Well, probably. Uh, He's referring to the fact she has covenantally committed herself to the Lord. He is telling her the Lord is faithful, uh, and he talks about 
her being able to find refuge under the Lord's arms. Um, that's who God is. He's giving a faithful testimony. But it is, again, a testimony. And as I read the book, I was looking for the author to show me God actively do something objectively. God does do these things. He visits his people with bread. Uh, he does punish sinners, whether Naomi is right or wrong. Uh, and you can find refuge under his arms. But here we are in chapter 2, and God is being talked about, but he hasn't become an active actor yet. Um, our next reference is chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, it's a simple reference, and again, God is being talked about. Naomi is speaking to Ruth. Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Uh, and Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, the, the Hebrew says a kinsman redeemer, and one of our close re- relatives. It's a nice reference to God. Again, God's being talked about. It's a blessing. Uh, the same thing is the next one. We jump into chapter 3 and verse 10, and there we read, Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Naomi uses God's name as a blessing. Boaz uses God's name as a blessing. Um, In verse 13 of chapter 3, Boaz uses God's name in an oath. We read, Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So again, God's a character in the story, but he's being talked about. Uh, We jump up to chapter 4. In verse 11 and 12, and then God appears again. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Epaphratha and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Again, a very nice blessing, but God is being talked about. Uh, It doesn't really say God does it. The next one is verse 14 through 15 in Ruth. And this is again a blessing and, and kind of significant. The women are talking to Naomi, and we read, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, a kinsman redeemer in the original. And may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. So the women are blessing Naomi, and they say you have a kinsman redeemer, but they're not talking about Boaz. 
They're actually talking about Boaz's son that Ruth bears, and they're saying, the Lord has been very kind to you. The book starts with you thinking, uh, I've been turned from sweet to bitter, which is what the names mean, because God is punishing me, and the women are saying, the Lord has given you new meaning, new hope. Uh, your family is going to continue. God has done this. And again, has God done this? Well, yes, but it's still people talking about God. It turns out in the entirety of the book, there is only one verse where the author tells us objectively God does something. Now, he does those other things, probably, but there is one, one verse where the writer tells us God did something, and that is in verse 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, every other reference in the book of Ruth, whether it's something that God most likely did or didn't, uh, it's people talking about God, but the one, one reference that the writer says, no, God did it, it is verse 13, God gave her the ability to have a child, she bore a son, and that leads into the last of the book, uh, and they called his name Obed, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then, just in case you missed it, from verse 18 to 22, we have Perez's genealogy leading to David. So we have this book that is generally preached as a love story between people, and again, that's happening, but is that really what the book's about? Everybody talks about God and what God is doing in the book, but is that what God is really doing? Well, the answer is the writer wants you to realize the one significant thing God is doing is he is building the house of David, who doesn't exist yet. And he is building the house of David because God has plans for the house of David, plans that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman in between her seed and your seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall wound his heel. The book of Ruth is not about a love story. The book of Ruth is about God setting up to keep the promise of Genesis 3.15. But there are people trapped in the story. Naomi finds herself in a terrible situation. Uh, Boaz finds himself blessed. Ruth trusts in the Lord and is blessed, and God loves all these people, but it's in, the, it's in the orbit of what God is doing covenantally. He is laying the groundwork for the giving of David, and of course David is a type and a shadow of the greater David we're promised. The house of David is promised, you will have the branch our righteousness, he will be king forever, he will sit upon the throne of David uh, or as the promise is given in the book of Micah, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, and actually only in Ruth and in Micah is the term Epaphrathah used. It's an ancient name for Bethlehem. 
Out of you will come for me a ruler of ancient of days who will govern my kingdom Israel forever. Uh, God is at work keeping his covenantal promises. And the book of Ruth is not about Ruth. It's not about a love story. Uh, It's about God redeeming the world and blessing people in the context of what he's doing. Uh, Last week on the Lord's Day, I had a conversation with one of you uh, who asked me, uh, how does... How does divine sovereignty and human free will integrate? Well, Esther is a good book for that. We were talking about that in that context. You watch human beings do things that are very, very typical of human beings. They end up in situations they don't want to be in. They have to respond to them. It looks like chance, but it's not. The book of Ruth is exactly the same way. Naomi doesn't want to be a widow. She doesn't want to be in a famine. Naomi doesn't want to be in danger. Uh, Ruth would prefer to be somewhere else. Boaz ends up really the truly blessed one here because he ends up with a godly wife, which is a value greater than riches, says Solomon. But all of this is human beings doing what human beings do, and God is not moving them like a chess piece, but he is. God is totally sovereign, but he is most free, as our confession says. The sovereignty of God somehow leaves human beings to be human beings, but God does his plan from the foundation of the earth, and God is never defeated. That's the biblical teaching. God is absolutely predestinating. David is going to be part of the one who will bruise the servant's head, and he's going to come. And God wants him to come through Ruth, the Moabitess, for a number of reasons. If you go up to Matthew, we read about Ruth being in Christ's genealogy. Uh, God was saying, now this is not a matter of biological descent. Ruth was even a Moabitess, but... She covenantally bound herself to me. Uh, But God is having his way. And having his way in such a way that human beings are being sanctified, human beings are being blessed, and you can't systematize that. You can't draw a diagram and say this is how sovereignty works. But sovereignty does. God is totally sovereign. And that's really the teaching of the book of Ruth. God will bring the Christ, the one who will crush Satan's head. He brings it through very human people trapped in very human situations. And people have all kinds of opinions about what God's doing. God's blessing the land with bread. Well, he probably is. God's punishing for my sins, maybe. But the one thing that we are told he's doing is he's laying the groundwork for David, who's the groundwork for Christ. God is glorifying himself. Will Boaz become famous in Israel? Yeah, well, yeah, he's in the book, and we all know him. But it's in the orbit of what God is doing. Thanks be to God.